We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Yeah, it's definitely a nice feeling to hit uh, your first home run in the big leagues, and I'm hoping to hit more. I'm hoping to hit more. I'm hoping to hit more. That one's driven deep to left field. Going back is Franklin. Track wall. See ya. A long home run for Sanchez. A two-run blast. The Yankees have to see everything about Sanchez to see if they're going to be their number one guy. Here's the payoff. Swung on and into the air to left center and deep. Up and going back. Away back to the track to the wall. She's gone. Into the visitors' bullpen. I'm telling you, Gary Sanchez has a chance to be a big player. Oh, driven deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run into the second deck and left. A three-run blast. His second home run of the night. He is the youngest Yankee to start the cleanup spot since Jay Buhner did it. And he hits a deep fly ball to center. Turning, looking, see ya! A home run into Monument Park! Gary Sanchez is serious about this. Five home runs. 
Sanchez lifts that in the air to left and deep. That ball is gone. Sanchez cranks that deep left, and Gary Sanchez has done it again. Sanchez crushes that deep left center field, and that ball is gone. Gary Sanchez continues to amaze. Are you kidding me? Gary Sanchez delivers that deep to left, and Sanchez again with a bomb! This monster keeps eating! Home run number nine for Sanchez, he went upper tank on that one. Sanchez has singled, doubled in two, and then grounded out. So if he makes out, that'll be twice in a row, and he'll probably be sent down. And here's the 1-0. Swung on and in the air to deep left field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Amazing. Stupendous. Fabulous. I have no other words. Gary Sanchez is coming up. And the one-two. Driven out to right center. That ball is. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 92. You just heard all 11 of Gary Sanchez's home runs so far this year. And Scott, it might even be more because we're recording before Sunday's game. Who knows? He could have four home runs this afternoon. It's pretty hard to keep up at this point because this kid is just on another planet. I'm, every single time, I'm, I'm completely disappointed if he comes up and doesn't hit a home run at this point. That's That's where we are with this kid, but... Unbelievable. How I mean, can you even possibly imagine a start like this for Sanchez? And, you know, this wasn't even the guy that we were, I think, most excited for, you know, when all these kids came up and started talking about. So the fact that this dude has just taken New York by storm is unbelievable. And he's really he's literally carried the Yankees, you know, over the past two weeks. Well, yeah, it's like yesterday in that 12 to four ball game. Everyone was sticking around the stadium for one more Gary Sanchez at bat. And then Joe Girardi drops Austin Romine in there to pinch hit sure everyone was pretty happy about about that aspect but you're absolutely right Gary Sanchez has carried the Yankees and uh, for number 92 this this little tidbit came from Neil Keefe who has been on this show before he says 1992 was the last time the Yankees finished a season below 500 and this season I think you and I thought there was a real possibility about a month ago for that to happen again but this last month of baseball has been exciting they've been playing well they're 12 and 8 in their last uh, 20. And since uh, Gary Sanchez started going on a home run barrage, they are 10 and 5 in the last 15 games. So you're absolutely right that he is the catalyst for this team. They are now scoring about a run more per game since he came into the lineup. And there's just no words to describe how good he's been and the type of difference maker he's been for this team. Yeah, he's been tremendous. And, you know, I keep getting lumped into all of the pessimistic uh, calls and negativity around this team, but I'm pretty sure that I predicted this team to be above 500. And for when the kids come up, then the you know all the veterans would start stepping their game up. But this is this is something that I I actually saw. This is a vision. I had tunnel vision and saw this. I saw Gary Sanchez hitting 11 home runs in 20 games. Right. It was yeah. That I dreamt about that. No, I, but well, he's yeah, been... I saw you chirping me on Twitter yesterday that you predicted yeah. that. It's a little it's a little easy to only remember the predictions that come true. Of course. Why would I remember the ones that, that fall by the wayside? <laughs> I think we make about six, six or seven predictions each podcast that most likely don't come true. But the underlying theme of the fact that these kids are starting to play 
really well and just have some that energy. That's the mo- That's the biggest thing. It's not even that they were. I mean, nobody could have predicted this. Obviously, it's impossible to predict something like this. But the fact that the kids are bringing just a level of energy and excitement to the the, the diamond and the fans in the stadium. You know, it just it completely you can see it in the vets and all the veteran players. I mean, they're actually starting to play better. It seems like they're caring more, if that's even fair. I don't know if it is or not, but it looks like they are. And it looks like they're having a lot more fun. So I credit Gary Sanchez. I credit uh, I credit Gary. I credit uh, Judge and and Romine and all the guys that are coming up and just just feeding into this this positivity, this this beautifulness that's going on in the uh, in the dugout. I love it. One guy that doesn't look quite dead, even though he looked dead for the entire season, was Mark Teixeira, who's starting to come around a little bit with five weeks to go in his major league career. And He's got nothing to lose, right? The, that is lose. the El Gary, I am Gary effect, which is what he hashtags all of his tweets with, which is just cocky as hell, and I love it so much. Um, some more insane stats from Gary Sanchez. He is the fastest player ever in Major League Baseball history to 11 home runs, and it's taken him 23 games. But you think about the fact that his first nine career games, if you date back to last year, two games, and then his first seven of this year, he did not hit a home run. So in 15 games, he's hit 11 home runs, which is a 119 home runs per season pace. <laughs> he's going to blow it out of the water. <laughs> This is gonna. This we're gonna we're gonna start tracking this. Barry Bonds, he's coming for that ass. <laughs> yeah, the dude's been unbelievable, and it's 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 pretty amazing when he came back up. You know the the just the fury that he's come into the Bronx with after I guess a slow start in the in, you know the first time he came up, he definitely looks like a completely different player. So good on Sanchez, man, taking advantage of this opportunity, and it's it's fun to watch. It really is. I, you can't look away when he's coming up to bat. He has joined Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. I don't know if you've ever heard of those guys, but they're, they're pretty good, pretty important as far as Yankees and Major League Baseball history goes. But he joins them as the only players of 23 or younger to hit 11, at least 11 home runs in a month, and there's still a couple days left in this month. And he is the second fastest ever behind DiMaggio in Yankees history to 30 hits. So it's not just hyperbole when we talk about Gary Sanchez and how well he's playing he's literally making baseball history it's funny because I was I talk a little bit of smack to a couple of buddies that I went to school with that are Orioles fans and you know just talking about this series coming into the weekend how big it was because it could this the series with the Orioles obviously if we if we are to sweep this we're recording in the morning on Sunday so the game hasn't been played yet but if the Yankees were to go in and sweep this game it's it's a different element to you know where they are in the standings whereas if they were to get their, their butts whooped this weekend, uh, they would pretty much get buried by the Orioles. So the fact that that was such a potential of the Yankees actually climbing back into this, everybody was talking about, these guys were like, you know, well, I'm just glad Sanchez has gotten off such a hard, hot start because this is exactly when he's going to cool down. This is this is the time he's going to come back down to earth. And uh-uh, uh-uh, <laughs> how this dude hell, is unconscious. How the hell are the Orioles so good this year with that pitching staff? The pitching staff is bad. It is it is the worst thing I've ever seen. I understand their offense is stupid good. I mean, they've got Trumbo, Chris Davis, and Manny Machado all have thirty plus home runs, and I think I think I saw seventy plus RBIs or sixty five plus RBIs for all those guys. I mean, it's insane what their lineup can do. But God, their pitching staff is bad. Yeah, and Bundy, 
Bundy had a bad start against us. He had pitched well the, the he few was, before he's that. He's been one of their most consistent starters, and, and I know their bullpen has been pretty locked down. Well, Britain's a Britain, he's, filthy. he's one of the best been, in the league. He's had one of the best seasons for a relief pitcher in, in history, which I understand. I mean, when they're mashing the ball and then you get into a close, you don't want to get into a close game late with them because they can hit home runs and they've got a shutdown closer. But but that starting rotation is, is just so damn bad. I don't know how they're in first place or have been hovering around first place the whole season. Yeah, it's funny because when you look at that and you're looking at that dominant closer in the background, it sounds like a very similar story. Yeah, haven't, haven't we heard that? Haven't we? <laughs> you you, you got to get to that guy first for him to be effective. Well, I the difference is they they mash the ball and the Yankees right. did not hit for three plus months this year. Which almost makes it even more impressive to 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 look at where we are right now and the fact that we are still within, uh, you know, a stone's throw of them because the offense has been so inconsistent and then all of a sudden these kids come up and it just gets better because Gary Sanchez is the best pitcher or the best hitter in in baseball. I right bet now. he'd be the best pitcher too. He probably would be. I mean, did you? I mean, he's the best catcher. He's unbelievable. So the, the, the fact that he's throwing these guys out with just such ease, yeah, you can't run on him. What does that make? Six of eight. Or six he's of nine. Un- he's unbelievable. Yeah, the the beautiful thing about it is that once you get the reputation as a catcher, as as somebody who can throw runners out, then they stop running on you altogether, which is even better than throwing runners out because right. then they don't try. And I understand that it ha- a lot of it has to do with the pitchers. I mean, right the 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 main aspect of stealing a base, you don't really steal on the catcher most of the time. You steal on the pitcher. I mean, there's certain circumstances where if the catcher bobbles the ball or whatever it may be, or Mike Piazza, who could barely throw it 70 miles an hour down to second base, then you might steal on the catcher. But your average major league catcher has a decent arm. He's going to get the ball down there in a couple seconds. It's You steal on the pitcher. But if if they're scared shitless that Gary Sanchez has a rifle and he's going to throw him, throw him out or pick him off, he's not afraid of his arm to throw down to second base to try and pick somebody off or first base, that's that's even better to shut down the running game. Yeah, it's like having a shutdown corner the, in the NFL. You don't throw to that side if you know a guy's going to be blanketed so they don't get that many balls thrown at them. It's, it's a similar it's a similar scenario. I think he was clocked at 1.8 to second base yesterday. I mean, the, the kids, he's got... And the unbelievable thing to me is a couple of these balls have been, you know, not not great balls to throw on. I mean, he, he gets his feet set so fast and has such a quick release. It's nothing that I expected. Nothing that I expected. <laughs> It's a where, quick where were all the scouts talking about this? It's a fast throw, but it's accurate. It's always right on the bag in a good yeah. position to slap a tag, and that's almost more important than how fast you throw it. If you throw it in the general zone of where the guy's going to be stealing or going to be sliding, it's right there. You don't have to do the extra motion. Didi or, or Castro doesn't have to do the extra motion to tag him. So you're right. Why the hell did we not hear about how good this guy's arm was? Let's just combine all of these things. Accuracy, you know, good good feet behind the plate, uh, an absolute cannon, and and put them all into Algeri. And there you go. You have the perfect baseball player. He's not going to be this good for Stop. the rest of the year or the rest of his... But, Why did you be so negative? No, I'm not being negative. I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> I know. But he, he hit 99 career home runs in the major leagues, which is... Good. He's played in the minor leagues a long time. He came. He was signed as an ninety nine in the minor leagues. In the what, minor leagues. What did you I said say? Major, you said majors. Well, he's on pace for. You're just foreshadowing for like the fortieth game. <laughs> I don't know if you were listening to Boomer and Carton this week, but I know Carton was kind of trolling. But he was like, if Gary Sanchez keeps this up, he's got to win Rookie of the Year and MVP. And I don't disagree with him. 
Oh God! If <laughs> if the Yankees make the playoffs, then there's no there's no game minimum. He's not going to win MVP because baseball writers won't vote for him. Right. But there's no minimum. You don't have to qualify for the MVP. Any you can vote for anybody. Same with Rookie of the Year, right? There's no qualification. No, there is qualifications with Rookie of the Year because you have to qualify as a rookie. Oh yes. Okay. Well, he will, right? I, or will? Um, no, may I don't know if he does. Be close. I, I think you have to play. I think it's sixty some sixty games, or six, I don't know if he's going to reach that. He's not going to reach that. I think he's only going to reach like fifty games. But um, so, but but what I would say, if if he if, say he finishes the season, if he's not going to at thirty home <laughs> runs. Oh come on, he's <laughs> thirty home runs, and the Yankees make the playoffs, and he's batting like three seventy five. Hell yeah, he deserves to be the MVP. Yeah. Hey, if he does that, then then we will start a giant campaign. The, <laughs> the Twitter spiel will be going bonkers over MVP El Gary. Um, but I don't even remember what I was what I was talking about. But yeah, I mean, it's the the electricity that he's brought to the team, and it's funny. I was making that home run montage that you guys listened to, and I listened to all those calls by by the radio announcers and Michael K and what's the guy's name that does the West Coast games. Ryan Rucco. Ryan Rucco. He's pretty good, actually. He I, is pretty good. I yeah. like him. Um, when when Yes sends their B squad out to the West Coast, Michael I mean, K doesn't it's a long trip, trip, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's in the. Contact. Well, I know Michael it's... K never wants to go to Oakland, which I don't blame him. But uh, yeah. Seattle's a nice place to visit in the summer. Yeah, but um, but they like they just lost word. They were at a loss for words. When you watch a guy making baseball history, it's like what what do you say about him at a certain point? He hit another home run. I I can't believe it. He hit another home run. Yeah, it's you start running out of out of uh, phrases or you just have to just go with pure excitement. I think at that point because you're you're almost becoming a the announcers have to. I mean they're in a position where they're watching this team every day and you see a guy that gets off to such a hot start like that. You just got to sit back and enjoy it and be be a fan almost at that point and just just have you know complete passion and exuberance in your call because that's what it is. There's no other there's no other way to do it in my opinion. And uh, El Gary is kind of taking the baseball world by storm. Uh, you see he signed with Steiner Sports. I did. And Teixeira was with him before Teixeira had that big game. Oh, no. I'm telling you, it's, he's rubbing off on people. Yep. Um, it, it, he's going to start to spread around the league. Um, and obviously, he's, he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. But he is... He, he's one of the biggest storylines already in, in this season for baseball. So... It's pretty oh, no crazy. doubt. I mean, the fact that he's doing it with the Yankees right now and, and they're climbing back into a race that most people thought they were out of is uh, is pretty tremendous. And and yes, he's I mean, they're he's starting to make the headlines. He's, he's his his uh, his highlights are, are being stacked at the top of all these highlight shows now. And uh, he, he tweeted, I believe we talked about this last week. I can't remember, but he tweeted that we might just be young and dumb enough to do this thing. Yep. You know, I, I, I want to talk about that because. I appreciate the players that engage on social media now and the ones that come. Because Didi's been doing it, I think, I don't know if he was doing it last year. I think he was. But after every game, he goes on and just tweets something about the game and about who, who did well and, you know, whatever. And I appreciate that because he goes on and just says something to everybody. He's acknowledging that the fans are there and that they're on social media and on Twitter. And Sanchez has been doing the same thing. And I really like that because, one, first of all, it's a really awesome way for you to get a ridiculous amount of fans behind you. And, and two, it's just, I don't know, you feel more engaged with the team when these guys are talking almost directly. It feels directly to you as a fan base. So, Well, do you think it's actually Sanchez? I think he's there. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, maybe his, his uh, well, you know, that guy who does all the, uh, 
I believe translating that is because is I don't I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he can speak English conversationally and just doesn't want to do it in interviews because he has been in the U.S. since he's 16 years old and he's 23. You figure he pick up picked up on some English, um, but I mean, even Ichiro doesn't do interviews in English, and he's been here for for 16 years, and I know he can speak pretty good English. A lot of that is tactical, just yeah, like yeah. you were talking no, about, you don't just so they don't have to do wanna, a million interviews. And you don't want to also fumble over your words or sound stupid or whatever it may be. But um, he does tweet in both Spanish and English, and, and something tells me he's not the one actually tweeting. Well, and that's fine. I mean, he's probably dictating what's happening, you know what I mean? Yes, I've been he's... behind the scenes of, of like an, an athlete social media campaign, and I know that there's usually a, a team of people around him, and it's it kind of has to be that way. You know, it's a lot of the time it is the athlete. A lot of time it's maybe someone it's it, that's doing it for them, but coming from them. So, um, it, it doesn't matter. It's I, to me, it's his sentiment, and it's coming from him. So, Abs- and I think Didi actually does tweet. Abs- no, yes, and, and you and Didi does those Instagram videos. He's he's very engaging. Um, Didi is he's got the personality for New York. That's for damn yes, sure. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, and he, he's, I think he's turned into a leader on this team. And I think his, he's, um, if you look, think about this last month of baseball and where the Yankees were a month ago, they were getting swept in Tampa right before the trade deadline. You remember how, how bad that was? That was basically the nail in the coffin for the season. Now we're going to trade our players, which you and I were totally fine with. That's what we wanted them to do. But uh, a mo- you fast forward a month and Gary Sanchez is carrying the team. You've got Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin on on the squad. Sessa and Green are pitching well. Didi and Starlin are doing their damn thing, and and they're also in the middle of the lineup carrying the team. Second Gar- half, Starlin. Gar- Gary Sanchez is getting all the glory, which obvious. It's it's that's clear. I mean, of course he is. But Starlin Castro's had had a huge month as as well. Starlin Castro's been on fire, and this is the second year in a row where you hit the all-star break, and apparently he just hits the on button, and he was in cruise control the first half because, I mean, he did get off to a, a hell of he a start. He was in April, and yeah. he actually had a very bad May. Right. And now, the after the all-star break, and he comes out of the gate, I mean, this dude is on fire right now, and he's he's hitting with power. What does he have, 18, 19 home runs, career highs? He's got uh, a career went, high in home runs. Um, yeah, went four both, for four the other night. Both him and both him and Didi each have uh, at least fifteen home runs and I think at least sixty RBIs. Not bad for a double play combination, especially two guys that were playing in an offense that stumbled over themselves for three months of the year. And the interesting thing about Castro, talking about him, I know we've kind of shuffled, kind of just transitioned into a, a Castro conversation, but. You know, we were talking about when we when we discuss all the the prospects and the middle infielders, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, why do the Yankees have so many middle infielders? They already have two guys that are doing well in the majors." Well, this is this is I think supporting both what you and I thought. The fact that he's adding more power uh, as he's getting older, or you know, in Yankee Stadium, it's just more of a, a power play for him as well. Just supports the fact that I think he's going to be the third baseman the, the, at some point. I think he's going to slide over. His body type looks more like a third baseman, and the fact that he's played shortstop in the past, you know, he could seemingly make that that transition pretty quick from second and short to third base. And the fact that he's adding the power is making him more of a prototypical corner guy. And uh, I, I think that's his future. And these middle infielders are going to be fighting for a spot because I don't think Didi's going anywhere. I think Didi is the is going to be the shortstop for a long time and. And as well, he should be because he's playing his butt off. Well, that transitions perfectly to the third baseman that has been bitching a little bit about his playing time, Chase Headley. Um, over the on the road trip on the West Coast, Chase Headley only played on two games, two of the six games, and he went one for eight. 
and he was battling a little bit of an injury. I think he had a sore Achilles heel. Uh, Torres was on fire, 9 for 16, hit his first career home run. And it you could kind of see the writing on the wall that Girardi was playing Torres over Headley. And I, he didn't, Headley didn't outright complain about his playing time, but he sort of alluded to it in some of the comments he made where he's made comments to the media that, I'm, of course, I'm upset I'm not in there. I haven't spoken to Joe Girardi about why I'm not playing, so I'm assuming I'm the starting third baseman. And then the Yankees go back home, and Headley still is not the starting third baseman. He he started, he played DH, but that was only because Brian McCann was home for a death in the family. So it looks like Chase Headley has been benched, and I am ecstatic. Well, I'm going to play the other side of this real quick because I know where you are. I think everybody in the world knows where you are on this Chase Headley topic. The fact is, is that when he's talking about this stuff, like you said, he didn't really come out directly and complain about this. He's getting fired questions at, by the media and he's answering these questions. So he's probably getting direct questions about, oh, have you spoken with Joe? Oh, how do you feel the fact that you're not starting? Oh, how do you, you know, why aren't you starting? He's coming out with these answers. I mean, he's being honest saying, yeah, I want to start. Of course I want to start. No, I haven't talked to Joe. So it's not like him coming out and saying, hey, hey, guys, come over here. Come to my locker. I got something to say about not playing nope, at that. That's how it come went here. down in my head. No, yeah, exactly. He held up. He, he had I, a megaphone. He had a blow. He, he got everyone's attention. <laughs> I need to complain about something. Please come this here. This guy doesn't say three words all season. I mean, he's very quiet. You don't hear anything from him. I mean, through ups and downs, you don't, you hear, don't hear anything from him you don't hear in the media or anything on the field. from him. You don't hear anything from him vocally. <laughs> anyway, the Torres kid that comes out and just starts banging. I mean, he hit his first major league home run. He was he was super hot. Uh, Girardi's riding that as, as, as long as he can. And I think at this point, Girardi knows that he needs to ride every hot hand that's out there. So he's not worried about it. And I do think that there is writing on the wall for what's happening with this team, that Headley's not going to be a part of it long term. Absolutely. So, so there's 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 that. Listen, <laughs> I don't know what his immediate is if, if, about yeah. next year. He probably will be on the team next year just because of the contract. Yeah. But there, uh, you know, there's there's definitely the writing on the wall for for what's going to happen into the future. And he's he's definitely not in the plans. That's that's for sure. Listen, um, Torres. But he is, came back out and hit a home run when he hit DH too. <laughs> Torres is not the future third baseman of the Yankees. You and I agree on that. Yes. Like you just said, Starlin Castro has a chance to move over there. There's plenty of guys in the minors that they could, if they want to, transition over to third base. They've got Tyler Austin, who could play third base. A lot of guys could play third base over Torres. But he is a 23-year-old kid who who plays good defense, and right now he's hitting. So you absolutely have to ride that. Girardi is every bit justified to, to, to be doing that over the veteran who's making a lot of money. But you're right, Chase Headley, two more seasons at $13 million per. It's a lot of cash. The Yankees are already going to be eating $20-plus million for A-Rod. If they do trade Brian McCann, they're going to have to eat some money for him. It, it's going to take a lot if they want to eat some money for, for Chase Headley as well. But I, I would be absolutely shocked if in 2018, so after next year, Chase yeah. Headley is still the starting third baseman. That, to me, just does not seem like a possibility at this point. No, I think next year's is going to be his his last year in pinstripes. I think he's going to they're going to, I mean unless he has a tremendous year and and just they'll 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 stick with him for the last year of the contract, but I don't see it happening. I, I don't see them sticking with him past next year. And you know, I think he's going to be on a short leash next year too. So, and and if if you're Chase Headley, you could you only have to look in the mirror and and blame yourself for why you're not playing. He had 120 plus games to perform and he did not really perform. 
if he was hitting even at his career levels, which is not great by any means, but is least respectable, Girardi would play him no questions asked. Don't you agree? Yes, and to be fair to Headley, after that horrible, horrible, horrible start, I mean, the guy's been a, a pretty steady major leaguer over at third. He's no. not anything crazy, I know, but his numbers are a lot better than, than okay. that start. I mean, he was buried. You buried couldn't, by you that couldn't start. be any worse than he started. He didn't have an extra base hit for a month right. and a half. I know. But if you, from the day he got his first extra base hit until today, he's still a below average third baseman in the league as far as offensive production goes. It is what it is. We know what he is. I think at this point we know what he is. He's not that guy that had that monster season in in yeah, San Diego. Was, uh, He's not that little, guy. Uh, that's a little fishy, right? That, a little, that was a little, beautiful. That was a beautiful. Smells uh, a little bit here. like Brady Anderson. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they do out in the, on the West Coast. There's, there are a lot of holistic things going on out there. But the fact that he had that big year, people thought they were going to. He was going to come over and and you know duplicate those numbers, and it just hasn't been the case. So. This is a guy that's not going to be on the team long term. He's going to be on a short leash, and I think he understands what's going on right now. The fact that he's answering these questions, honestly, you know, I don't I have no problem with that. I don't think he was really going out make trying to make headlines. Oh, I, I think I think he was sticking it right to Girardi. Of course you do. Um, yeah, I mean, last thing I'll say about the Chase Headley situation is that look at what they've done with Brian McCann and Mark Teixeira. They're no longer the everyday players, and Chase Headley is the third in that veteran list, and I have no problem with it. And I think it's absolutely um, the right the right move at this point in time. you gotta, you got to ride the energy of this team. Real quick, the more and more I'm seeing Brian McCann as this DH leader in the clubhouse guy, the more and more I'm kind of liking that situation and his role on the team, to tell you the truth. Yeah, we talked about it last week, and I believe it was... It, we kind of both agree that if 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 being an everyday DH and catching maybe once a week boosts his offensive production, then we're both completely on board with having him be the DH next year. And the fact that all these kids are going to be up, I mean, you need these leaders who have been around, the veteran guys who have been around for a long time. I, I think that's an integral part of a team, an integral part of a dugout. I think it, it helps limit slumps it it gets people you know better scouting reports obviously him being a catcher he's seen a lot of different players in this league i think he can really help out the the young guys in this team and i think you need that type of guy in the clubhouse and we can't get rid of everybody i don't think headley's that guy who comes around and and you know he's a leader will talk and coach you up i don't think he's that guy at all uh you look around there aren't very many of those guys i don't even think ellsbury's that guy i could see gardner being that guy i don't think gardner's even in the team next year i don't think ellsbury speaks in the clubhouse I, right. think he, I, I think he goes in, changes, showers up, and goes home. I, yeah, I honestly don't think he says a word. Yeah. Uh, Didi and Castro, I could see being – they're more vocal, but they haven't been around as long. So McCann's the guy, to me, that, that could be a, a real – I don't know, glue to this clubhouse to really make sure the, the things are going right. Sure. And he would be a good uh, – a good. I think he, the more and more I'm looking at this, and I know I'm reading everywhere that the writing's on the wall, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone – I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm coming around to the say that there's more value with him on this team than there is shipping him out, paying for his contract or at least a half of the contract. There's more value of that money on this team in the clubhouse as a DH. And uh, what I kind of hope that happens. What about the aspect though he might not be happy with being the DH? And if he's not happy, he's probably not going to be a good leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. See, I don't I don't know. He just doesn't come across as that guy to me. He comes across as a guy that's a. Uh, but he's it's never gonna... had to deal with a situation where he hasn't been the everyday catcher. And, and I mentioned last week about the contract situation. He loses 15 million bucks for not catching. 
for the, I that's for next year, right? He, no, how many, it's for uh, twenty. It's 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 for the uh, an option on the last year of his deal, in which 20, is eighteen twenty eighteen, right? Where he he does not get that option picked up if he doesn't catch. Um, it might actually be twenty nineteen. It is twenty nineteen. Okay, so that's that's what I thought it was, which leads me to believe that next year means nothing in that contract, right? Two thousand eighteen is the yeah, time. Yeah, but if he if he's an everyday DH next year, no one then no one is gonna put him back at catcher for 2018 potentially, but he could also boost his value as a designated hitter and, and, and in theory could, could do something Get as well for make that, that money up anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't see him as a guy that's going to cause problems. I, I, he seems like a very team guy, a guy that wants to win ball games. He's a gritty old school type of guy. And I just don't see him causing the problem. It's not his personality. And I, I don't see anything that, that leads me to believe that he's going to be some kind of a diva saying, oh, yeah. if I'm not, I'm not going to be happy, I'm not going to be the guy in the, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's producing or that's helping the, the younger guys on the team. I just don't see him as that. I, I think everything outside the dugout stays outside the dugout with him. I, I, I would agree with that. I think he is that type of personality. And if he does really want to embrace the leadership role, he could mentor Gary Sanchez and Austin Romine. And who who better? I mean, he's been uh, one of the best catchers in baseball over the last 10 years. So I, I, I think there is real value in that. I would just like to see if he is, if he does embrace that role, because it's not a cert, it's not a definite, it's not a certainty. All right, let's move on to Tanaka. Um, I got on Tanaka last week and I said that I don't trust him. And what did he do? He went out there and shut me up. <laughs> um, it was a big game in Seattle on Wednesday. They not only is Seattle ahead of them in the wild card standings, but it was the rubber match Wednesday afternoon in Seattle. And, uh, Tanaka went out and shut, shut him down. He didn't have his best stuff because he, he gave up a couple hard hit balls in the first couple innings, but he did get through seven innings, six hits and no earned runs, which obviously is a shutdown start. And the Yankees were able to win the game. I think they won 5 nothing. Um, Tanaka on the road trip didn't allow a run. He pitched seven and two-thirds in Anaheim, no runs. And then seven innings in Seattle, no runs. And the reason I kind of said I didn't trust Tanaka is because of his performance in games similar to that one on Wednesday this season. And I recall the game in Houston when they were going for the sweep before the trade deadline. He gave up four runs in five innings, which is certainly not good enough when you're the ace pitcher. The Yankees lost that game. And then the, the other one, which I've mentioned a few times, was against the Mets at City Field. Right after they traded away their players, Tanaka went out and got shelled. Gave up six earned runs. But this time, he, he, he nutted up. He stood up and, and shut down the team. And I kind of have to give him credit for that. I mean, scoreboard, right? The scoreboard tells me the facts. And the fact is, Tanaka pitched really well. You know, this is the guy that that you didn't trust. You gave uh, what well, you gave fifty fifty, I think, right? When we were when we were talking about fifty fifty, he, he's going to do it in a big game. I feel fifty fifty with Tanaka on the mound, which is not how you should feel with your ace. Right. Yeah, the fact that he came back out and and pitched very well over the past two is is tremendous. I mean, there's there's little room for error at this point in the season. So uh, to me, every single game moving forward is a huge game. I mean. For the Yankees, every game now is a playoff game in essence, and because you can't you can't falter at this point, you cannot lose a couple games in a row, three games in a row, or you're out. And the fact that he needs to be the stopper, he needs to be the guy that that pitches well to to you know I, in that situation in in uh, Seattle to win the the series, a three game series, not a four game series, to win that series, he he, uh, you know he 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 came out, and I I don't know, you and I feel differently about him. I think over over. 
the entire, you know, our opinions are, are similar in the sense that he's not the prototypical ace guy. I think I have more confidence in him than you do just to keep the Yankees into a game. Um, so here's I'm just happy he were, shut him down completely. That was a big start, and that was a big pitching performance. Here's where you and I agree on Tanaka, though. He is the Yankees' best pitcher. He is their default ace. However, no you could name uh, 10 aces in Major League Baseball that you would probably take over him, correct? I don't know about 10. No, I don't think I could name 10. I mean, you look around the league. I mean, I've seen Madison Bumgarner over the past month has not been pitching very well either. Okay, but there's, I, there's, I, there's, guys who, there's guys who struggle at the same time. So trade no, right now, right I would, now on the table, one for one, Tanaka Bumgarner. for Bumgarner. Are you doing it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, what I'm saying is that there are points where aces will not perform like an ace. Sure, of course. I because mean, and Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher statistically in baseball, but he goes out in the playoffs and you don't have a ton of confidence in him. So I understand right. that. But everyone has their 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 faults. But I think with Tanaka, I. He has more faults than the average ace. I just believe that Tanaka, in a big start, in a in a playoff game, I have confidence that he's going to keep this team in a game, if not pitch very well. And to me, that means a lot. I think that's a that's a huge thing for the the, the team behind him, knowing that you're going to get a good start from him. Maybe he's not going to shut them down completely, but you're going to get a good start. He's going to keep you in the game, and it's our job as an offense and defense to play well behind him to to win the game you just hit the nail on the head with the offense and i think a big part of it was this year that the offense was so bad that even if he went out there and pitched seven innings and three runs which is a pretty good start the yankees would lose three to one and you look at it and it's like well tanaka didn't do his job he's the ace he needs to match the other pitcher pitcher for pitch but it's sometimes hard when the yankees offense is going up there oh for seven with runners in scoring position they, they go down one two three one two three so quickly in the blink of an eye every inning. They don't even get guys on base sometimes for long stretches. So the offense does play a factor in the pitchers as well. You have to you have to perform on offense sometimes to and it boosts the pitcher. Um, and right now the Yankees are going out scoring over five runs a game over the last month. Before that they were scoring four runs a game. So that makes a huge difference. I mean, winning is absolutely infectious no matter what position you're playing. The other thing about the offense that's such a critical part to a pitcher is that because the offense was struggling so badly during the, the majority of the season, Tanaka's got to go out there knowing that he's the number one guy and has to be absolutely perfect almost every day. That's a lot. If you're trying to be perfect on every single pitch, chances are you're going to start, you're going to leave a, a pitch up. Or, there's no room for error at that point. And when you're a pitcher knowing that every single time you come out, you may not be able to, to do what you want all the time. You may not be able to throw the, the pitch that you want all the time because of the fact that you can't give up a solo home run. You got to, you know, you got to be perfect on, on with every single at bat. And and that doesn't allow to me, the pitcher to to use his full range of an arsenal. I did find a stat that supports my argument, though. I, of course you I, did. How I, long did it take? I dug deep. I'm not going to tell you how long I, I searched for this stat. I went to the ends of the earth. On baseball reference, and I found that Tanaka in high leverage situations is allowing a 292 batting average. Okay, so what defines a high leverage situation? <laughs> so there's Can a long please... in depth definition of it on baseball reference, but essentially it's points in the game, it's pivotal points in the game that uh, changes on that single at bat or that single play the win probab- probability of your oh team. Oh my god. It's, I want to know what nerd came up with that stat. It's a it may it's a good stat I think because 
basically what it is is it's the it's the seventh inning and there's two outs and it's a tie ball game and Tanaka gives up a solo home run. That's a high leverage situation that he did not perform in. It, it's situations like that. I understand it's it's me going out and searching for a stat that doesn't support that supports my argument, but it does back up my argument that in big situations he can't always be trusted. Because in low leverage situations, he's allowing like a 202 batting average. So it's almost 100 points higher when the pressure is on. All right. I'm not even, I don't even think I can give much conversation to this stat. It's so, it's so deep and, and ridiculous. I it's don't even. It's not ridiculous. It is because you don't know what these high leverage situations were. Yes, I do. I just specifically. Explain, I just, no, you, you, you gave me an, a, a textbook answer for what they were, but show me in the games what those were. And, and. All right. Next week I'll, I will. Yeah. I want to know like what that high leverage situation was. To me, that's it's, some it's nerd in his mom's basement trying to find it's something. It's when the win probability of the game changes. When when the momentum in the game shifts hands, Masahiro Tanaka is at his worst. I guess. Maybe. Maybe that's real. That Probably is real. Not, though. No, I, I don't know. 292. How many at-bats is that? Five? No. Six at-bats? No. It, it, was over Seven a, at-bats? it was over 100 at-bats. Oh, come on. Yes, it was. It was over 100 at-bats. I'll look it up right now. We'll come back to this next year or next week. This is uh, this is something that's that's just too much buried. The fact of the matter is, now they're winning, they're playing well, and he's pitching well. That's what I care about. He's pitching well in high leverage situations in the season, and he just came out with two dominant starts. Ninety six at bats. That's that's high leverage to me. Ninety six at bats. Great. He's, he's so add in add in every hits. single add in every single at bat that's over the past two games to that stat as well, because to me those are high leverage. That that's that's involved in there. No, it's not. These stats are up to date. I looked them up this morning. So you're saying that in the first inning, the first batter is also part of that high leverage no, situation? Well, no, that's a low leverage. Why? A, because it's... It, the you games are high even, leverage. Even the in games playoff games, high leverage. even in playoff games, there's low leverage situations. No, I see. That's uh, that's that's something that can be completely argued. I don't believe that there are zero high leverage or high or there are zero low leverage situations in big games. Zero. Okay, so in a big game, it's the fifth inning and your team is winning nine nothing. That's a high leverage situation. Yeah, it can be absolutely. <laughs> oh come on, absolutely. All right. No, it's not a low leverage situation. Is my point. Yes, not it everything. Is. The, when, the fact of the matter the is, when you're when you're shift. When, when no matter what that batter does... But it does, can. Momentum can absolutely shift okay, in so any game. Gives up a home run, now it's 9-1. to one. I'm that, pretty sure the Yankees had a 6 nothing lead recently and blew it. Was that a low-leverage situation when the the uh, the first the first run scored and then all of a sudden 6-8 runs scored after that? Well, the first batter when it was 6 nothing was probably a low-leverage situation, yes. Not to that guy. Not to that Speaking team. Speaking of Swarzak, who is no longer on the team. I'm just saying, this, it's, a, it's a very arbitrary number it's a it's not arbitrary though the fact that you're saying high leverage is arbitrary yes it is well that's what the def, that's what it, it's categorized it's their definition as. they made it up it's like going to the, the every Wikipedia stat in baseball every stat in baseball is made up that is the whole point of baseball it's a bunch of statistics that we make up because we're nerdy that's what it's baseball just, no, the statistics are real it's the it's the categories that the nerds put them in are made up that is what's made up you see you, you want to stuff me in a locker is what you're saying <laughs> yes all right, moving on. Um, can I bash the manager? Is that is that legit or, do, or is that off limits? No, to... he's got these guys going pretty well. He's got them going pretty well. But I think I'm going to agree with you though. Yesterday's game, Saturday's game, the Yankees are winning 12 to four, cruising. El Gary Sanchez is hitting home runs. Starling Castro is hitting home runs. Even even uh, did Chase Headley hit home run yesterday? Or was that Friday? I can't even remember. Regardless, it was when he was DHing. It was Friday. Friday. Okay. Regardless. 
it's an eight-run ball game, and Girardi goes to Adam Warren and Tyler Clippard. And I tweeted out, why the hell are these two guys pitching in this game? And everybody responded, they need work. They need work. They haven't pitched in five days. They need work. Blah, blah, blah. I understand that. We looked it up. Adam Warren didn't pitch since the Anaheim series. So I understand he, a week off is too long for a bullpen guy. You probably got to get him in there. But do you really have to use Tyler Clippard, who has who pitched on Wednesday in Seattle, and who you made the great point, had not faced Baltimore this season? Um it just doesn't make sense to use two of your three best relievers in a game that's eight runs just because they need work. You don't know what's going to happen Sunday. What if you need to use Adam War- or Tyler Clippard for five outs today because it's a one-run ball game, or you need to use Adam Warren for an extended period of time because it's an extra inning game? I just hate wasting bullets in eight-run games. I agree with you. I understand the fact that some of these guys and Warren's the guy I think, you know, pitching one of them is is something that can be looked at because they do needed a little they needed work. Warren hadn't pitched in a while, so I could see that. And you know, the the fact that Clippard had not pitched against the Orioles to me is an even more supports the the fact that why we're we're I'm not saying I'm I'm upset about this. I'm just I just question it. I just scratch my head sometimes. It goes back to last year with cr- scratching my head with some of the moves that Jordy makes at the end of the game in the bullpens in the bullpen and the fact, the fact that he, and people are like, okay, well he's been in the major leagues for a long time. There's a lot of tape on him. People have seen him. I get that. That's fine. But the fact that a team has not seen a guy in a season to me makes a difference because there are going to be some big games coming up against Baltimore. Still, we still got to go to Baltimore to play them. And the fact that they hadn't seen Clippard to me can make a, a big difference in one guy's at bat. You feel more comfortable when you see a guy more recently and, you know, get making this Baltimore lineup any more comfortable than they already are any more, you're giving them any more advantage to, you know, the fact that they're extremely talented and they're playing amazing this year is, is something that I don't want to do. So yeah, I don't, I, I can understand the, the Warren move. I don't get the Clippard move in a, in a non high leverage situation. <laughs> well, Girardi went into that game with the mentality. He was going to pitch them regardless of the situation. So yeah, no matter what happened that? in that game, no, but uh, I know just, that's just, what he it's did. It's in the binder. Yeah, it's, it's in, in the, the binder because they haven't pitched in X number of days. No matter what the situation is, right. they're getting in the game today. So yeah. because eight-run game might as well have been an 800-run game. If you're pitching your two two of your best relievers in an eight-run game, you're going to pitch them in any so- sort of situation. So yeah, that's... no, I get it, and uh, it's uh, the Clipper thing is uh, is is to me head scratching Warren even more just because he's not really just a one inning guy all the time. He needs that work. I think he needs to, to get his arm, uh, some, some game action. Clippard is a, I definitely would not have pitched Clippard yesterday because you would like to, if on Sunday you're, you're going for the sweep against Baltimore. It's a huge sweep. You've got to sweep. If you have a one run game in the sixth inning, why not? Wouldn't you like to have maybe nine plus outs from those three guys today? I absolutely would. I don't trust the rest of those bums in the bullpen. Especially with CC pitching. I mean, you know CC is going to probably give you five good innings, right? He's going to keep you in the game for five innings at least. That's that's kind of been his MO. He's pitched a little bit deeper this year. But, you know, I mean, if you're going into that game, you're thinking five from CC, right? Like, that's that's to me what I'm going in with. Like, this is what we're going to get from this guy. Anything else is gravy. Right. So that's you need lot, those. That's a lot of outs You need to those get. guys. Yeah, you need those guys at the end of the bullpen. All right. Let's move into some mailbags. We got a lot of good mailbags this week. So let's start it off with Taylor at Big Wanky on Twitter. Is that like Wanky, like Chris Wanky? Is he a Florida State fan? I have no clue. (laughs) Why don't you ask him? He says, what are the chances we see Jordan Montgomery called up this year? 
Uh, if you do not know who Jordan Montgomery is, he was he is ranked as the 20th overall prospect in the Yankees system by MLB Pipeline. Left-handed starting pitcher, they drafted him in the fourth round in 2014. He's a big dude, 6'6", 23 years old. Um, he's a little hefty, which I kind of appreciate, uh, hefty lefty. And um, he's had a very good season. This has kind of been his breakout year. He's approaching his career high in innings. He's in, he's uh, I think averaging about a strikeout per inning, which is pretty good for a star, uh, starting pitcher. And um, mysteriously, I'm saying that kind of sarcastically, his fastball jumped two to three miles an hour this year because he was clocked always in the low 90s. Now he's cranking up to, uh, 93, 94 this year consistently. I mean, I think that also happens with just maturity of the Absolutely. of the body even. You know, I 23 said it, years old. Yeah. I said it sarcastically. Yeah, 23 years old. You're still growing. A lot of guys are still growing. And the, they're, you know, getting used to their the way that they pitch, they're getting stronger. So this is a, this is not something that's, that's unexpected. And yeah, I mean, there's an absolute possibility for him. I mean, if you're looking at when the rosters expand, and this is something that we're, we're going to get into as well within this, this question, because it's coming up this week, the rosters expand uh, September one, Montgomery is absolutely a possibility. You, you know, Drury is going to want more lefties in there. And, you know, right now we're looking at like Richard Blyer coming in or, uh, you know, guys like that. The fact that, that Montgomery's had some success, is, uh, is 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 positive, and he's definitely going to be, I think, on the short list for guys uh, to come up. The only thing that would prevent him, in my opinion, is is if they're worried about the innings and if they think that he's he's just already thrown too much at, at this point. Well, that's why he's not going to be in the starting rotation, which is obvious anyway, because they have five starters who have been going pretty good. Um, Green and Sessa, I think, are there for the rest of the season to see what they've got. And I think that they would even go back to Severino again before they go to Montgomery for a start. But he could absolutely be a lefty out of the out of the bullpen for an inning or two in September. Yeah. Um, not exactly going to trust Chase and Shreve anymore. To, yeah, to Flyer, Shreve. I mean, who else is coming in? This is a guy that, that would, might be looked at. <clears throat> so, yes, he is on that list of September call-ups for pitchers. Who um, And you know what? A lot of times September, September call-ups are also to reward guys. He's had a great season, and they want to reward him with a couple major league checks. Um, here's your first big league action. I think that's a that's a real possibility for him. I don't think that's going to be played into this year, though, with the with the guys coming up. I, I think rewarding a guy, I think I think because this year is so so unique in the fact that the guys that come up in the September call ups are probably going to play a lot more than they have played in the past. Of course, even when you reward a guy who's had a great season in AAA, you. you with the understanding they could get into some game actions. I mean, you have such a, uh, is a, what are the rosters expanding? I don't even know what the number is. This is a crazy number of players to go through on, on teams when rosters expand that, I mean, everyone can play, but they're not going to play a lot because you have so many, you have only so many positions on the field. Right. Well, and that's why I think he'd be a bullpen guy or maybe, you know, a mop up duty dude. Um, but again, if it's, if it's something that they're worried about the fact that he's already thrown career highs in innings, We've seen guys come up and, and struggle after they've kind of hit that point. I mean, Chase and Shreve last year, and he hasn't been the same since then. So who knows if that was a, something that's, that's led to his demise. I don't know. But they're going to be careful. They've always been careful with guys like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't because of that reason. As far as position players go for September call-ups, obviously we're going to see Ref Snyder. I say there's a good chance we see the flow man Ben Gamble as well. Um, but I'm not sure who else really, um, obviously there's the whole 40 men roster trickery that you have to play around with when you're making these call-ups. Yeah. There's going to be a couple outfielders that come up for sure. 
Uh, Gamble, I think, is 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 going to be up. Um, and then when you're talking about pitchers, the interesting one to me, the most interesting one, is the guy that just came back was optioned off of the 60-day DL to AAA, Brian Mitchell. He came back a lot faster than I think most people expected. He had that toe injury. No, four and, months. That was exactly yeah, I, what it was. It was. I know, it was, but I, I think when we came into this, when that happened, I didn't think we were, we were going to see him at the end of the year. I mean, that was the rehab. I don't know if we were expecting to see him back, though, at the end of the season. I, I, I definitely wasn't. I thought they were going to take their time with him and, and, uh, and not throw him. But the fact that he came back at the end of the AAA season and they did put him back on the roster leads me to believe that they are going to call him up when the, when the rosters expand, as long as he's feeling okay. Yeah, I was, I was a little skeptical of that because the guy hasn't pitched all season. Why risk injury, more injury to him when he hasn't pitched all season? But you're right. What other reason would they have activated him at the end of the season? Um, he made the team out of spring training. He had a great spring. Uh, it, it really sucks that he he got that toe turf injury. I think Mitchell though is a guy that competes for the rotation in spring training next year, which is also what Montgomery could do. Okay, this next mailbag comes from James B on Twitter, and he says, "Who is more likely to be traded in the off season, Gardner or Ellsbury? If one is traded, can Frazier be on the opening day roster and compete for a spot in center field next season?" So we're talking about the two guys being traded first, the Gardner or Ellsbury. Ellsbury's not getting traded. That's that's just that's just what's happening. It's I mean, Ellsbury's movable contract. Ellsbury's contract is yeah, it's too big. It's nobody's going to take it on. The Yankees are going to be are going to be sitting with Ellsbury. Gardner, I do not see on the team next year. There's just too many outfielders ready to come up, and I think they're ready to move on from him. I just don't see that happening. Frazier is one of the guys that's obviously one of the highly touted ones in AAA. Um, he's going to be competing, but I think Frazier's a guy who they want to see in, in another season in AAA, at least uh, at least half of a season, and uh, and prove that he can he can light up AAA before he comes up to the majors. Well, okay. First of all, on Gardner, it kind of sucks that they're if they do try and trade him this offseason, which I agree with, they will try. It's coming off one of his worst seasons in recent history versus last season, which one of, was one of his best. He made the All Star team, so you're first selling... half. First half. It's still, he's an all-star. When you look at the numbers for the entire season last year, they're pretty good. And when you're going to look at the numbers this year for the entire season, they're going to be pretty bad. Uh, His on-base percentage is much lower than it normally is, so you're selling low on him. But at this point, you probably need to move on from Gardner. Um, And sneaky, sneaky, Aaron Hicks has also been playing himself into a job next season. So uh, he's a cheaper option than Gardner, obviously. Um, Speaking of Fraser... He's 21 years old, so there's going to be at least at least another half season in the minors, I believe. Even if he lights it up in spring training next year, I still think they send him uh, to AAA to work on some stuff. After he got off to a very hot start in his first couple games with Scranton, he has struggled a little bit. He got demoted in the lineup. He's down uh, in the sixth spot now. He was batting second. Um and this was basically a demotion for performance. And Fraser, I saw, I read some comments where he agreed with it. He said, you know, I'm not performing in the in the second spot, and that's not helping the team win. Overall, this season for Scranton, he is batting 222, and he struck out 24 times in 22 games. So not terrible, but certainly not um, not worthy of getting a call up or potentially being on the opening day roster next year. I mean, the power hasn't really been there either. He's got what one. The last time I looked, he had just hit his first home run, so I don't know if he he's has, got two. Has, if he's come back. So he hit another one. I mean, 222, 
is not good. It's not, I'd say it is pretty terrible, actually. 24, 24 strikeouts in 22 games. That's, I think, one of the more alarming things. I know they want to cut down those strikeouts for him, especially a guy that's going to be going gap to gap. Really got to cut those strikeouts down. And I think that definitely at least a half season, they're going to want him seasoned. They want him they want him performing much better at the AAA level before. And I agree with you. Even if he does have a tremendous spring training, I think they're going to, you know, he's going to start the season in AAA one way or another, just because there's too many guys that have performed ahead of him in AAA. And they're really not in a big hurry with him at this point. I think they want to make sure that he's right. And, and he comes up and, and isn't a chance to succeed and not, not a chance to, uh, you know how they are, the Yankees are with keeping the, you know, mental state of their, of their prospects in a, in a, in a good place. Severino's really tested that theory, but the the fact that they want him to succeed when they come up is an obvious sentiment. So they, uh, I think they are going to keep him down there. So I don't think he's really a, a guy that we're going to look at early in the season next year. All right, what do we got next for for questions? So next we have Tommy underscore Glover on Instagram. Do you think Ref Snyder will be included in a trade package with Brian McCann? And we're going to combine a couple other ones with that, just because they're along the same lines. This one's from Bronx Bronx Bombers News on Instagram. What will the Yankees get back uh, for Brian McCann when he goes to the Braves, or if he goes to the Braves, uh, who will be included? And then Nick Jackis, also on Instagram, do you think the Yankees will sign a starter this offseason with Evaldi going down? So appreciate the Instagram questions, too. I know we throw that up every Thursday for, for questions on Instagram. If you are on there and you want to give a question for the mailbag section, just uh, hit it in the comments. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening this season, the offseason for sure, and I think... Unfortunately for me, just because I'm a fanboy, uh, Rob Refsnyder, I believe, will be looked at by other teams and I think is a guy that, you know, given given value in a trade that Brian Cashman could look to to move in the offseason. But, um, you know, we talked about Brian McCann and how I think that there is a lot of value for him next year. Again, the Yankees would have to be blown away, in my opinion. I, I only want them to be blown away, which they're not going to, you know, in parentheses. They're not going to be blown away for a trade with him. Um, so I think, and I kind of want him to be on the seat on the, on the roster next year. So, well, any trade that involves Brian McCann, I don't think will involve another player from the Yankees because it's going to involve the Yankees eating money. So I don't think they're going to be willing to send a player plus eat money, plus give them Brian McCann. That doesn't seem like it would be logical. Um, unless a team is sending a decent player back, but again, that doesn't seem logical. So Brian McCann, if he has traded, seems more of like a, a dump of 80% of the salary or whatever it may be. Uh, see, you're, it, that makes me even cringe more when we're talking about if we're getting as high as 80% of a salary dump. I'm like, don't do it if that if that's the case. Don't. There's no reason to do it. I just, I, I see there is a role for him on this team. There's just, right. there's we've established role. that. But, yeah. but if, they've, if, they, if they're trying to get under that luxury tax number or they're trying to open up spots for other guys, um, it might be worth it to them, I guess. Um, and uh, this question from Nick on Instagram, he says, do you think the Yankees will sign a starter this offseason since Evaldi is down? Uh, God, I hope not. Because if you look at the list of free agent starting pitchers, it is a pile of dog shit. Um, here's some of the notable guys that I found on the list. Brett Anderson, who's 29. Gio Gonzalez, who has a club option, which he could still remain with Washington. Rich Hill, who's 37. He's 37? Yeah. Man, he yeah. got old fast. <laughs> Matt Latos, who I believe you no. hate. 
<laughs> He's a train wreck. And uh, Jeremy Hellickson. Those are like the guys that if the Yankees sign them, I don't think would be the biggest disaster in the world. It would be a disaster, but it wouldn't be the biggest disaster in the world. There's a number of other guys on that list that are complete trash that I don't even want them to go near. Um, the free agent starting pitchers this offseason was going to be highlighted by Strasburg, right. but Washington, uh, Washington uh, locked him up earlier this season. You might have left the best pitcher off this list, though. Yeah? Yeah, big boy. Big boy. Bartolo. Oh, Bartolo. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. going to put Tolo on there, but I feel like <laughs> if he is going to pitch again next year, it's going to be with the Mets. The headliner of the free agent starting pitching class, forty-five-year-old Bartolo. Bartolo <laughs> I guess Gio Gonzalez is the is the name you see out of there that probably sticks out. But I mean, he's really underperformed since he's left Oakland. He he has not been the same guy he since he left Oakland. Good, he had one really good year in Washington. Um, he's he's due to make twelve million on that club option next year. Right. That um, it might be kind of worth it for the for the um Nationals to pick up. Because you're probably going to have to pay him that plus long term anyway. Yeah, I, I think that that's a contract that they're going to pick up. That the 12 million for a starting pitcher, a lefty. This uh, where he's probably what they're three, four. And actually, no, not all these young guys that come up. He's 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 really pushed down four or five. He is, but he's he's point. kind of a known commodity for right. um for them. So yeah, so I think they'll pick him up. Um, but yeah, the rest of these guys like stay away from late. I don't think Latos is pitching again in this league. I mean, he's just proved that he can't. He can't <laughs> be in a clubhouse. To, I he's, wanted to throw him in there because I knew you hated him. Yeah, he's a thug. Uh, but the list, the list of free agents is is garbage, and it's kind of a good thing because it means the Yankees are going to stay out of it, and that's exactly what I want them to do. The Evaldi injury certainly hurts the rotation next year. Um, not that Evaldi was performing fantastically, but. But he was at least locked in. And the one thing I, I wrote about this last week, that Avaldi uh, was going to be in a contract near contract year next season. And we know how players rise to the occasion during contract years. So not only do the Yankees miss out on that benefit, but also Avaldi misses out on having a year where going into free agency he can cash in. He's probably looking at a non-tender contract offer from the Yankees. He's got a rehab. He's most likely not going to pitch next year. So kind of sucks all around for Evaldi and the Yankees. Yeah, it's, you know, the the one thing about the free agent market for next year, I think we're going to see something very similar as far as an approach to what Cashman took this year when you don't see a a guy that you really want to go after. I mean, there may be reports going into January that the Yankees for the second straight year have not signed a free agent because this is this is an area, especially with the the minor league system completely bolstered at this point and, and something that Cashman, I think, has done on purpose. I think that the trade market might be the the way that they they go for a starting pitching if they are going to add a starting pitcher from outside the club. That's the, the way that I believe that they can get probably the most value. And the fact that they have a lot of depth in their minor league system right now, you're going to see some of these guys get traded away. It's just it's just going to happen. And you look at the numbers, you look at the positions that are available in AA, AAA, and in the majors, something's got to give with a couple of these positions. And I think that Cashman's going to you know turn some of these guys eventually, maybe not this offseason, but eventually into a starting pitcher. So you kind of just answered the next um, email question from Travis. He says, do the Yankees make any moves this offseason? And if Torres continues to play well, what do you think they do with our infield prospects? Assuming second base would be the only opening in the near future after Castro or if Castro is moved. Um, you kind of just touched on it and we touched on it earlier in the show. Um, 
You're absolutely right about the depth in the minors, and that's the beauty of acquiring all those players that you can, if you want to make a play for a big-name starting pitcher, you got depth in the minors. You're not trading away your only two good prospects at that point. You're trading away two or three of your prospects. Uh, it's a totally different ball game with what Cashman has been able to do with this minor league system. Yeah, and... You know, there's there's some interesting things about it as far as like who's going to come up and and who's blocking them. I guess the question was directly about Torres as well. I mean, having him come alive and you know, I don't think that Torres has any bearing on anything they do. Like no. zero bearing on ride that wave him while playing you can. well and and the infield prospects. To me, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, Torres is is a utility guy. That's what he is. And the fact that he's playing right now is a complete and a direct result for him being hot right now. I mean, this is not a guy that is that's going to be in the long term future as far as a position, uh, you know, a steady position on the Yankees. He's a he's a utility guy. If they want to get crazy with the uh, free agent star, uh, relief pitchers, on the other hand, there are some good names out there. Obviously, Chapman. Everyone remembers he kind of alluded to the fact that he would be open to coming back to the Yankees, um, and the fact that uh, he kind of he's ha- he's pitched well in Chicago. But uh, I thought it was funny when they played uh, Smack oh That gosh. Bitch Up. Why do you even play that in the first place? That's... It's a horrible song to play at, at a stadium anyway. Doesn't when... that lead you to believe that it was it was intentional? Because why would you play it anyway? Kind of seems why is... like some uh, intern in the in the yeah. Wrigley Field clubhouse is yeah, getting, a little, the system. getting a little tricky. Yeah, see, because I, I that's not on the playlist in the first place. Right. So that's why not is on the there? approved list of songs. No. Exactly. So someone did that. It does seem fishy, and yeah. um, I mean, obviously, that's not going to have any bearing on where Chapman goes in the offseason. He's going to go to the team that pays him the most money. Right. But the Yankees could decide that they want Araldis Chapman back. Um, I I don't, at this point, I wouldn't say I want that to happen, but I, I don't think I'd, I'd be upset. Uh, there's also Wade Davis out there, but he's got the this injury with KC. Um, there's an option out there on his on his contract for $10 million. But does KC want to pick that up, considering he is going to be probably ending the season with an injury? And also Mark Melanson, who is used to used to be on the Yankees, came up with the Yankees, is also a free agent. And there's a there's another a number of other relief pitchers who are free agents that if the Yankees want to make a splash in free agency, I feel like that's where it would be this offseason. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to do. I mean, if your theory about the Yankees trying to unload contracts is to get under the the luxury tax number, then Chapman's probably not in play at that point, right? Because well, they'd have to also unload Brian McCann and pretty much all of it, and then you'd pay exactly all. Then you'd it. pay the the money that Brian McCann is making to Aroldis Chapman, right? But I don't even know if it's going to be enough because you're not going to get a, a team to take that much off of his contract. Well, so. I think you could you could get say say you're on the hook for four million, four or five million of Brian McCann. That means you still have twelve or thirteen million to play with for Chapman. That's I mean, you're not going to pay a closer more than that. It'll be interesting. It's it, it, the numbers are are probably close. I'd say Very when, close. when you're talking about Chapman and and bringing him back. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy that they know brings you know a lot of electricity into Yankee Stadium. I think that's something that they're really trying to do. They know that the kids are are getting the fan base exciting excited, and you know you bring a guy like Araldis Chapman back into the back of the bullpen, and you got Patantis Chapman for you know years. In the in the back of the bullpen, and and that's exciting. That's something that that definitely brings butts in seats. It makes the the eighth and ninth, you know, must see baseball. And the you you couple them with uh, L. Gary, and that's a that's a hell of a battery right there. 
Um, all right, next question comes from mdevo116 on Instagram, and he says, Tyler Austin came up as a third baseman, so do you think they will give him a shot there? And I'm assuming he means this year. I know Torres has come alive lately, but Austin gives more power in that position. I looked up Tyler Austin's minors career, 119 games at first base, only 35 games at third base, and 319 games in the outfield. So when you're talking about 35 games at third base, you're looking at Rob Refsnyder numbers almost. I'd say they're pretty you know, comparable. Yeah, I mean, well, Refsnyder's played much less than that. But but yeah, I mean, you'd think, you'd think that Tyler Austin has a lot of third base experience, but that's actually not the case. Right. So, I mean, there's a there's a potential there, but most likely not. I mean, in a pinch, possibly, but Torres has definitely gone over there. With Ref Snyder up, they might be able to put him back over there. I doubt it, just because they have seemed to be sour on him as a third baseman. So... You know he's and and you know he hasn't shown the pop yet in the in the majors. We need to see. I think they need to see a little bit more of him uh, to to really see that that the power numbers translate into the major leagues. I mean, obviously he got off to that huge start with the his first at bat with going back to back with Judge. That was awesome. He's struggled since then. You haven't seen the power, uh, and, and he's a guy that's that's uh, that's I don't know almost been seemed to be overmatched a little bit so far. I want to ask you a question. Uh, speaking of Judge and Austin hitting home runs in their first at bat. Do you think that's kind of a curse? Would you want to hit a home run in your first major league at bat? Yeah, absolutely. You don't absolutely. think that every time you go up there, you're trying to live up to that? No. It would be interesting I mean, to that... see who guys, what players in major league history have let off their career with a home run and what those guys have done throughout their career. Yeah, that would be that would be a fun thing to look remember at. Remember Marcus Timms hit yep. a home run off Randy Johnson? Yes. Um I'm trying to think, like off the top of my head, who I can remember. I I remember. I don't know. Did why Andrew I Jones? This. Oh, I don't know if Andrew Jones did. Um, Daniel Nava. Do you remember him for the Red Sox? Hit a grand slam in his first career at bat. Um, yeah. I I just I know it doesn't really mean anything, but it, it'd be interesting to see. Um, Judge has struggled a little bit. Tyler Austin has struggled a little bit. On the other hand, Gary Sanchez didn't have a home run for the first nine games, and look what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anything, any of that stuff is related. I think that they've just they've been overmatched their first uh, their first week, two weeks up, and I think it's just exciting for that thing. I think it oh, goes yeah. away after that. You know, after that game, it's done. Yeah, you probably ride the high for that game. Um, but... You look at Judge. You look at a guy like Judge and and even Austin. When you when you hear them interviewed and you just hear them speak, it doesn't seem like they, at least you know, talking about it. It doesn't seem like they get too riled up in a, in a certain moment. They seem pretty level-headed, and they seem like guys that, that you know, can ride a high and a low pretty, pretty well. So, you know, hopefully, that, hopefully Austin starts seeing the ball a little better and, and is, uh, is able to, to start performing better. And, you know, we've seen Judge. I mean, Judge has been striking out quite a bit, but we, we knew this was going to happen in the beginning. I think, I think everybody, I mean, even look at AAA. When he first came up in AAA, he struggled, and he made his adjustments, and he, he got on top of it and really started succeeding. So, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. They're going to see a dip and then and then more of a, you know, a steady rise for for these guys to to make their adjustments and and to be able to uh, to play in the major. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. What do we have next? So the next one is from Matt Tucker. He says, are the level of prospects received from the Pirates for the, the Ivan Nova trade tied into his performance? He is now three and O and the Pirates won his other start that he that he started since the trade i hope this is the case thank you and i don't know if you saw but he also pitched a complete game his last time out yeah he likes pittsburgh apparently he's been pitching well that out cervelli there. connection maybe 
Um, all right. So the player to be named later. This was, I thought, a really interesting question because I thought I knew the answer. Uh, I did know the answer, but it was still interesting to to read about the whole stuff about player to be named later. Yankees got two players to be named later later for Nova. And do you remember I I gave uh, Cashman a lot of credit for getting two players for the crappy Ivan Nova? Well, um, like we said, he's done well in Pittsburgh. So what is a player to be named later? It's basically when two teams can't figure out a player to trade at the, at that that moment, but they don't want to hold up the overall trade for that team. So they just agree to trade a player in the future. It has to happen six months down the road. And it's uh, based on the list that's agreed upon when the trade happens. So to answer the question... Um, from Matt, the players who the Yankees could get from Pittsburgh is already pretty much agreed upon between Cashman and Pittsburgh. It's probably a list of five, 10, maybe a couple more guys that the Yankees would accept back in a trade for Ivan Nova. Um, but unfortunately, it does not make a difference if Nova goes out and gets injured in his first start or if he pitches lights out or he gets crushed. Um, but, uh, I thought it was interesting to sort of see the the whole workings of the player to be named later. Yeah, the fact that it they get it, you know it takes six months to make that trade or it has to be done within six months is interesting because I guess you know you, you're looking at your roster at that point or whenever they decide to come back to the table. Chances are, in this case, it's going to be after the season and they're going to look to see you know at the at the players and where they are with their minor league system and then choose the best one. So um, it makes sense though. I mean, I don't know you know unless there was there were contingencies in a deal like this, which I'm sure there could be, you know, that some kind of a contingency in a deal uh, that's made behind the scenes. It makes all the sense that the, the players are already agreed upon because isn't that what you're trying to do? Aren't you trying to get the best out of a trade? And mm. why would you be penalized if a guy succeeds? I mean, that's, that's what you're trying to do. So you, right. sh- you shouldn't be penalized in a deal. If your guy, the one you think has potential, uh, you know, comes out and proves that you're right. Do you think it maybe has a, in, uh, an effect psychologically for GMs. If Cashman is saying, well, Nova for you won five games down the stretch. I, I, I want to get a lot for this trade. Not that he can actually do that, but do you think maybe it happens subconsciously for the GMs? What do you mean? Like at, when they're negotiating or they're talking about the players to be named later, six months down the road? Yeah. So say in November, the Yankees go back to Pittsburgh and say, time for you guys to pay up on that trade. And right. no, look at Nova's stats. He's 5-1 and one with a 3.2 ERA. That's pretty damn good. I want, you know, you guys got everything you wanted out of this trade. I want to get something back good. Um, yeah, but I don't the, think if it the can, players it, already it, agree it can't upon matter. It. Right. But what I'm saying is, does it does that affect Cashman when he goes back to the to the phone to call the Pittsburgh GM? Does he say, well, I want the two best players on this list that we agreed upon because it doesn't have the Pittsburgh GM doesn't have to say yes. It's just it could be those players. See, that that's where I don't I'm. Are you? Sh- I don't. Know, I'm. I'm confused about that because agreed upon is is two parties agree upon this list. Anybody from this list, two of them, you can have. But it so, still has to be. But it still has to. Um, the other GM still has to agree to do it. He did. No, it's not. It's not that Cashman can then just select any two from that list. Cashman says, "I want player one and player seven from this list," and the Pittsburgh GM can say, "Nope, I'll give you player one and player five. And Cashman says no, because there's been deals where they can't agree. And, and the guy gets sent back? the guy gets sent back. That happened, okay. that happened in 1981. 
Brad okay. Golden was traded from the Yankees to the Mariners in 1980 for a player to be named later, and then they couldn't agree on a trade, so Seattle sent him back the next season. So that makes more sense if there's if there's still negotiations that went on. I was in the understanding that if you that both teams agree that these players are on the table and you know at the at a given time the you know they're whichever on the, players. they're on the table, but they're not um, but they're not solidified. In right. other words. Cashman can only select from that list. He can only negotiate from that list. He can list. only ne- negotiate from that list. That's a better word, not select. He can only negotiate for players on that list. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, then, yes, then it absolutely does go into it because, you know, when we first started talking about this, I thought there was no negotiation. I thought the negotiations and all of the, you know, all of that stuff was done already. No, it's basically like Pittsburgh GM was like, listen, Brian, I don't have time to deal with this right now. Just give me yeah. Nova and here's a list of 15 players that we can negotiate for in, within the next six months. Right. Well then, yes, it absolutely goes into the, into the mindset of, of Brian Cashman going back depending, depending on. So, so I actually think that it is tied. <laughs> I, you know, the level of prospect I guess was already agreed upon, but for that list, but to, to answer the question, it, it still does matter what his performance was. If there's still negotiations to happen. Yeah. But what I'm, I get, I guess I read the question to be, um, is Pittsburgh obligated to send back better players, which they're right. not. Yeah, unless there's some stipulation that we don't know about that was agreed upon. Well, what the interesting aspect is, if they can't agree upon a trade, which I think they will, I don't think it's a big deal, um, Nova is a free agent, so you, Pittsburgh can't send them back. Yeah, interesting. Um, I also want to mention, do you remember the Trey Turner player to be named later fiasco? Yes, where he was uh, drafted by San Diego, and then there was a three-team trade between the Padres, Rays, and Nationals. The Nationals were going to get Trey Turner. Will Myers was going to go to San Diego. But they couldn't physically trade Trey Turner at that point because he was signed as a pro within the last year. And at that point, it was 2014, there was a rule in baseball that you couldn't trade a player until one year to the day after he signed his first pro deal. So even though... Trey Turner was the agreed upon player. He was the player to be named later once he was eligible to be traded. And it was six months down the road. So he was basically in limbo in in the San Diego minor league system where he wasn't really a Padre, but he was playing for them. Yeah, that's because there's so many stupid rules in baseball with the <laughs> amount of the amount of time served and, you know, the all these things that go into it to, to for control of a team. There's a lot of really dumb rules in baseball. But well, that rule was nixed because MLB realized it's a dumb rule. So you now can trade players the day after you sign them. Yeah, and he's turned out to be a hell of a player, too. That's the guy that that the Yankees were were definitely keying on for Washington if they were going to look at a trade w- for Andrew Miller. Trey Turner was definitely a guy. Him and uh, Giolito were the were the two guys that were circled, I, I yeah, believe. Yeah, the trade and didn't Turner... really work out for San Diego, that whole rebuild the organization, remember? When they brought yeah. in Will Myers and uh, Matt Kemp right? and uh, Big Game James and... Uh... Whoever else. Who, did, who did Washington give up in that trade? I, I, you know what? I didn't. I, I remember reading it, and I did not recognize his name. Yeah, man, they met out like a bandit. Um, so that's the whole player to be named later thing. Kind of interesting. It's it like you said. It's interesting when you read into all these different things with baseball, and it's like I consider myself a huge baseball fan, and there's so much stuff I don't know that I have to read about and figure out. Um, kind of cool. Um, so those were all the mailbags. Thanks, guys. A lot of good mailbags this week. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I want to talk about Blake Rutherford. This kind of came through in the last couple of days, and it kind of flew under the radar. But 
He has not played in a game since August 24th. He was having a very good season, his first season in pro baseball uh, for the Pulaski Yankees single-A affiliate, 351 with three home runs. He's already skyrocketing up the Yankees prospect list, and he's ranked in the top 100 for MLB prospects. We talked about him during the trade deadline stuff, so so good stuff on Rutherford. And then uh, let's play detective a little bit because some weird stuff's going on. August 26th, Blake Rutherford tweeted, trust it, and with a baseball emoji. And then a day later, August 27th, at 11.11 p.m., the Pulaski Yankees tweeted, Regarding Blake Rutherford, the Pulaski, Pulaski Yankees have no comment. All questions may be directed to Yankees player development complex in Tampa. People re- were retweeting it. They were saying, what the hell's going on? At 11.52 p.m., so about 40 minutes later, that tweet was deleted. And we don't know what's going on because the Yankees Tampa player development has not made a comment. Rutherford has not appeared in another game since August 24th. So it's a little bit of a mystery what's going on with our boy Rutherford. Yeah, this is this has been two two players in the past uh, month month and a half that have been just very secretive. Like something's going on, we don't know what it is. But the first one was Jacob Lindgren. We they, he stopped pitching, and nobody really, he wasn't he wasn't on a, an injury report. Nobody he was, just wasn't throwing, um, and nobody really knew what was going on. The Yankees are very very hush hush I think at the at the lower levels about what happens. Obviously, the Pulaski Yankees are not owned by the Yankees; they're privately owned, so they don't have you know, quote, control over the players. So they really can't comment on the players. All comments go through the the Yankees in Tampa uh, that, you know, they're, they're the ones that will actually comment about their players. So it's interesting. I don't know what – there's there's been no talk about an injury. There's There's been no talk about him moving anywhere. So I, I don't know what's happening. Uh, is he getting a bump up for the playoffs to get an extended look somewhere else? And maybe there's like a, a game limit? I don't know. Here's what I think happened. Like you just said, the Pulaski Yankees can't really comment. But they were probably getting bombarded with tweets saying, why the hell isn't Blake Rutherford playing? And some intern or somebody who runs that Twitter handle was finally like, I'm sick of this. I'm going to tweet, direct all your questions to Yankees player development in Tampa. And then somebody from the Yankees organization was like, "Um, you can't say that. Please delete that tweet. And I'm sure some intern, summer intern was fired because of that tweet. But uh, that's exactly what I think happened. Well, I mean, that doesn't change the fact of what's going on with Blake Rutherford. No, I mean, who knows what's going on with him? I mean, that's that's the key. I mean, I don't really care what the intern commented and the fact that like he just did, whoever did that caught. Why? I think just, that's fun. Yeah, but they brought. I know they brought attention to something that that maybe exactly. was going under the radar. Mayhem, chaos. But the fact Some of the matter just is, watch the world burn. I want to. I want to know if there is an injury with Blake, Blake Rutherford and they're just being hush hush about it because that's exactly uh, what was. That's exactly what happened with Jacob Lindgren. I know. Why there was a, there was an injury that nobody talked about and nobody knew about. Why and then all of a sudden he's down for the year. Unless they don't know what the, unless he's injured and they don't know what the injury is yet. That's because why they're, they're always hush hush. They don't need to say anything. It's the, it's the Belichick factor. You know, no, you don't, it's why, not, not, it's not why say anything for a guy in single A ball. They don't want to cause alarm. I don't know that because if somebody gets hurt, that's another guy that just got hurt. That that would mean two of their last draft picks are now hurt. They're two number ones. I just got a, a mental picture of Brian Cashman going to the podium and acting like Belichick about questions. I could see him being Belichick like that. <laughs> no, just Cashman quiet. has always been open. Cashman's always been pretty open. No, with I could see him just honest. start mumbling under his under his. Uh, under I would the, actually would love under it if, his Girardi, breath. if Girardi turned heel and started doing that. That would every, be pretty funny. Every answer, it's not what you want. It's not what you want. 
Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on this though because uh, Rutherford's a guy who came out, got out to a really hot start, and you you thought was a guy that's going to be definitely in in uh, Tampa next year and has the potential to to start climbing the ranks relatively fast. So hopefully everything's good. We'll keep an and eye. It's on just it. some some weird thing that's going on. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Update on the podcast next week. Uh, he has not tweeted since August 26th. Trust it. That kind of makes it seem like um, he was foreshadowing what happened where like trust the process or whatever it may be. That's kind of how I read it. Um, but it's interesting and, and we'll follow that story. Um, thanks everyone for the mailbag questions. As I said, you can follow us on Twitter, follow the show on Twitter at Yankees podcast on Saturday afternoon. I was tweeting from the podcast. I think I'm going to start doing that a little bit more, try and grow that follower base. Um, follow me on Twitter at Yankees underscore talk, follow Scott at Scott Reinen and follow the website at Bronx pinstripes. Any final words, Scott, before we get out of here. Yes, one final word about the fan shop. Check it out. I've put on Twitter some some teasers about the, the new shirt that's coming out, Rebuild the Empire. I love it. It's one of my favorite shirts. I'm pretty much going to be re- refining the design all week. We have it going on pre-sale. Uh, you're listening to this Monday. It actually started on Sunday, the, the pre-sale. So go and grab uh, one of those tees. You'll, you'll see some other tees coming out very soon that have to do with... L Kraken. So keep an eye out for that as well. There's some some good ones in the works, but uh, yeah, go grab the the rebuild the empire. It's perfect. It's beautiful. L Gary, I am Gary. He is Gary. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.